0: As many of you know, we're only a few days into August, but the back-to-school season and the craziness has already begun. And uh, even though I, I don't have kids going back to school, how many people in here have gone back to school? We got, I know we got some students, kids in here. Okay, yeah, so y'all know what I'm talking about. But even though I haven't gone back to school yet, uh, I was in Target recently, and it looked like a tornado just swept through the whole building. Uh, so I've seen that. I mean, if you're driving in the area in the morning at all, or in the afternoons, you know that people are trying to figure out these new commuting patterns and it's kind of crazy and then you look on Facebook, you have all the new haircuts, the new backpacks, the new outfits. And now students, I got to ask y'all later. I don't, you know, I was a kid once, but like you have shoes for the summer, but then the shoes for the summer aren't good enough for the school year. You got to get new shoes for the first day of school. Maybe somebody can explain that to me one day. But my Facebook feed has been filled with all of this stuff, and I know that this is a crazy time of the year in people's lives. I mean, this is a crazy Time of season. Even in the church, as we're we're kicking off new things tomorrow morning, we're welcoming uh, around 30 children to our pals early learning program, the most ever, um, which we're excited about. Uh, Tammy's directing that, and so she knows. We know it's 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 kind of crazy getting everything prepared, going on. And so, in the midst of all of this stuff going on, our schedules filling up, our wallets emptying out a little bit, um, I thought that a question that was submitted when we asked for questions in this You Asked For It series, I thought that this question was very appropriate. And the question that was submitted was this, how can I make God first in my life? How can I make God first in my life? And that's, that's simply what I want to talk with you about this morning. How can we put God first in our lives? Because in our lives, there are a lot of things vying for our energy, for our time, for our resources. There are a lot of things pulling at us in all sorts of different directions. And I mean, if your life is anything like mine, you, you have a lot of stuff and a lot of good stuff. I mean, when I look at my life, one of the things that takes up a lot of my, my time and my, my energy um, is my vocation, my calling as a pastor to, to serve you. And it's an awesome privilege and it's an honor. That takes up a lot. And then I have my relationship with Emily, my wife, who, you know, we have a commitment to each other, to love one another until death do us part. And so, you know, that, that takes up a lot in our life, and that's very important to me. Now that we have a baby on the way, we're going to appointments, that's taking up time. And then we've been shopping for baby stuff, so that's taking up financial resources, you know, heading in that direction. And then, you know, in the midst of all of that, I want to take care of myself and find time to exercise and take care of myself mentally, physically, emotionally, it's good to have friendships, right? And so all of this stuff is going on. And then what happens is even in my life, a lot of times God and my commitment to grow in my faith, it begins to get pushed to the side a little bit. And I think that's the case in a lot of our lives. I mean, really, if you, if you just kind of think about your life and everything going on in your life, if you think about the, the different priorities you have in life, the different things in your life that are taking up space, taking up time and energy and resources. I want you to think of them uh, like, these little, like these little buckets over here. So we have a lot of stuff in our lives. We have a lot of things taking up our energy, our resources. I mean, one of the things for many people is, is work. How many people here, you spend the majority of your waking hours at work somewhere? Okay, right? So that, that's, that's a big thing. A lot of your energy, your, your best mental capabilities, your time is spent at work. It's students, for you, right now in this season, this, this is school, right? This is you, and this is a big priority. And so that takes up a lot. And then we have, you know, you think about it, we have our, our families. If you're married, you know, you have your relationship with your spouse. If you have kids, kids are important. That takes up a lot of, a lot of resources, money. Things like that. So you have your kids, you have your family. Maybe some of you I know in here have aging parents. That takes up a lot of time. You got cousins, you got siblings, all that stuff. So that's a lot going on. And then you have friendships because it's good to have friendships and to have relationships in your life where you can be known and you can be loved. So you got that going on. Then you have yourself, right, which that's usually kind of at the back, uh, back burner. But you want to take care of yourself, do all that kind of stuff. And then you just have life, right, where the toilet breaks, where things are piling up, where you've got to cut the grass, you've got to do all that. So we have all of these things going on in our lives. And then we have what a lot of us would say is our most important thing in life. A lot of, not everybody in here, but a lot of people would say that God and our relationship with God is the most important thing to us. But what happens is a lot of times our lives are so full we're carrying all this stuff that we don't really have time or capacity to, to have God in our lives, to be a part of our lives. And so what ends up happening is when another kid comes or something comes up at our job or something breaks in the house, something has to give. And honestly, one of the first things that often goes in our life is the priority of our relationship with God and spending time with Him and growing in that relationship. And so this is a challenge for many of us trying to figure out how to put God first in our lives. And, you know, we feel like we live in the busiest time in the world's history. But let's be honest, our parents struggle with these same things. Our parents struggle with these things. Our grandparents struggle with these things. People for a long time have struggled juggling all of the different things that we're called to carry in life and to figure out how God and how our relationship with Him fits into all of this. This isn't anything new. Even in Jesus' time, when God Himself was walking this earth, people struggled trying to figure out how to fit Him into their lives and what that relationship was going to look like. And so when I got this question, how can I make God first in my life, my mind immediately went to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, where Jesus has an encounter with a few different people who are trying to figure out how does Jesus fit into my life? What does this relationship look like? And so at this point in Luke's gospel where he's telling about Jesus' life, Jesus has already told the people, look, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to die, but I'm going to rise again. He's been performing great miracles all over the area. People are coming to hear him teach with authority and with power about God and reveal things about God's kingdom. And so the crowds are building. People are really interested in Jesus at this time. And then Luke tells us this interesting story in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 51. He begins here and he says this. He says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people didn't receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. And here's where I want you to pay attention. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, Follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are some tough words from Jesus. Now, honestly, I don't think they were the most effective evangelism strategy trying to get people to come and to follow him and to commit their lives. And do I need to switch microphones? You want me to go to the handheld? Okay. I don't think it was the most effective strategy for Jesus to to make disciples and to reach new people. Because here, look, I mean, Jesus says to this one guy who says, Hey, look, I'm going to follow you. Jesus says to him, Hey, you plan to follow me? Well, you need to know something first. You need to know that while the animals have a place to go at night, while the animals have a place to lay their heads and sleep in comfort, if you follow me and have a relationship with me, you're not guaranteed those things. You're not guaranteed the comfort of a nice bed after you've been working hard all day long doing difficult things. He says, look, you're not guaranteed uh, an extra bedroom for every child in your house and a craft room as well. He says, look, I know that that you seek this sense of comfort and you want these conveniences in your life, but if you're going to follow me, actually, you're going to have to give up this sense of comfort. You're going to have to give up a lot of conveniences of this life. And actually, we'll see right after this, he tells the people you're going to have to live on handouts and on other people's hospitality. He says, look, if you're going to follow me, that's what this life is going to entail. And then you'd think everybody would have left at that point. But Jesus says to somebody, he says, hey, follow me. He gives that simple invitation to go on a journey with him. And this man, he recognizes Jesus as Lord. So he says, look, Jesus, I I know you're Lord. It's a term that means master or teacher. It signifies submission saying, look, I I know that that you're the leader and I want to give everything to you. But he says, first, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me go. And bury my father, which seems like a reasonable request to us. Fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. In Jewish culture, this was a very important thing for people to do, especially sons, to honor their parents by burying them. And then Jesus, I mean, he he says something kind of shocking. It seems a little insensitive and offensive. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Of God, those are some tough words. In his book called "Head Scratchers: When the Words of Jesus Don't Make Sense," Pastor Talbot Davis, who's a pastor in North Carolina, he says that you know for a long time pastors and theologians have tried to make sense of these words and figure out exactly what Jesus was saying and kind of make them a little bit more palatable to us. And so he says, you know, one interpretation is that when the guy says, let me go and bury my father, that the guy's father isn't actually dead yet, but he's, he's very sick and he's going to be dying soon, maybe in the next month or so. And so the guy's saying, hey, look, can I go back and, and spend a little more time with my father? Other people say that here Jesus is speaking metaphorically. And, and he's saying, look, leaving people in your past, a lot of those people are spiritually dead. Let the other spiritually dead people take care of them. But as for you, come, come with me, come to life. I have a new mission for you. Still other people, and I tend to agree with these people, reflecting on, on the culture of the time and their burial rituals say that typically in that culture, there were two burials. There was a first burial where when someone died, they, they put the corpse in a tomb, but then they would let the body decompose. And then about a year later, They would take those bones, they would put them in a bone box, an ossuary, and then they would put that into a tomb along with lots of other people's bones. And and so a lot of people think, well, that's what Jesus is talking about. This guy is in between these two burials. His father has already been buried once, but now they still need to transfer the bones. And so Jesus is saying, look, don't go back. There are other dead people in that tomb, and it's going to be okay. Come and follow me. But here's the thing. No matter how you try to interpret this or try to rationalize this or get around it, the scandal remains. These words are shocking from Jesus because Jesus is telling this guy, Hey, look, you can't just call me Lord. If you're going to call me Lord, you need to live like I'm your Lord. You need to give up everything and come and follow me. And at that point, you would think that everybody would have left. But then there was a third person. And the third person said, look, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus once again replies saying, look, if you want a relationship with me, if you want to be my disciple, then I've got to be first. These are some tough words from Jesus. But do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is challenging these people's understanding of their relationship with him and how that relationship can work. And at the same time, he's challenging us and our understanding of our relationship with Jesus and how that relationship was created to work as well and really what Jesus is saying to us here is look I know you're trying to juggle all of these things you're trying to to have your friends, you're trying to have your work, you're trying to have your family, all this stuff and then you're trying to add me to the mix as well And when I'm convenient, you know, you put me up and I'm number one and I'm your top priority in that season when things are calm. But then the next week I'm the bottom priority and and all of this stuff is, is just taking up space. And so I'm up one day and I'm down the next. What Jesus is saying here is that if you want to be my disciple and if you want to follow me, if you truly want me to be first in your life, then first you have to let go of everything else that you're holding on to. Jesus says, if you want me to be first in your life, then first you have to let go of everything else. And these are tough words from Jesus. This type of relationship is a tough one for us because honestly, and I'm guilty of of preaching in this way sometimes, a lot of us were just told growing up, hey, you know what? You need to just invite Jesus to be a part of your life. And so that's what we've done. We've said, Jesus, here's my life and everything going on, and you can have a little bit of my time. You can have a Sunday morning a month. You can have a little bit of my finances. You can have a little bit of my energy, a little bit of my resources. I know... All the gifts are from you and my spiritual gifts and talents are from you. You can have those when I feel like it's convenient and I want to serve you. We've tried to squeeze Jesus and fit him into our crazy and our hectic lives, but he's telling us that's not how this is created to work. Being a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, also known as a Christian, if we want to really have God first in our lives, first we have to surrender everything to him and say, God, My life is for you and for you alone. And surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ is a lot more difficult than just saying a quick prayer and and starting to do a few Christian activities here and there. Jesus calls us to that life of surrender. And now if Jesus were just another sage or guru or great teacher, then we would probably say that's kind of a controlling thing for Jesus to say, to set those terms, to say, hey, you have to surrender everything if you wanna follow me. We'd say, you know what? That's kind of authoritarian. I don't know about that. But when we begin to realize that Jesus is Lord of the cosmos, that he was present at creation, that he rules over heavens and the earth, then it makes a little bit more sense that he calls us to submit our lives to him. When we realize that Jesus is the giver of every good gift in our lives, Jesus, God incarnate, has given us our time. He's given us the gift of life. He's given us all of our financial resources. He's given us our homes. He's given us our jobs. When we realize that Jesus has given every good and perfect gift to us, then this call to submission becomes a little bit easier and it makes a little more sense. When we realize that Jesus submitted his life on a cross for us, for our salvation, so that we can be reconciled to God, then this call to submission makes a little bit more sense and it begins to, to, to be understandable for us and we begin to make steps to surrender our life to him. But it's not until we fully surrender our life to him that we can really have him be first in our lives because first we have to let go of everything else but when we come to that point of surrender and when we say to Jesus everything I have is yours I want You to be number one in my life. I surrender everything else. When we say to Jesus, I surrender all, it's at that precise moment that we experience the paradox that is at the heart of the Christian faith. And Jesus talks about that paradox when he says this. When he says, those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. what he's saying here is that the mystery is that when we finally become willing to give everything to God, it's at that precise moment that God gives us everything we've ever truly wanted and everything we've ever truly needed. The acceptance that we've tried to find in our relationships and in our families and all of these other places, we find that we're truly and fully accepted by God who loves us and who knows us and who sent Jesus Christ for us. The sense of purpose that we look for at work and with all of this stuff that we're doing, the sense of meaning that we try to to create for ourselves, we find when we surrender all of those things to God, God gives us that sense of purpose and belonging when we join other disciples of Jesus Christ in Christian community the love, the comfort that we've always longed for. When we give everything to God, we find that that love and that comfort comes knowing that we are his beloved children and that there is nothing we can do to make him love us more and nothing we can do to make him love us less. When we come to that point where we're willing to give everything to God and surrender our entire lives to him, it's at that moment that we truly receive everything we've ever wanted or truly needed. And then one final interesting thing happens when we surrender. Sometimes when we surrender our our lives to God, God says, hey, you know what? This part of your life, it wasn't compatible with my kingdom. I need you to leave the racism behind. I need you to leave the hatred behind. I need you to leave the unforgiveness behind. I need you sometimes to leave that vocation behind. Sometimes God says, look, I'm going to take those things from you and you're not going to get them back. Sometimes he adds things to our lives. He says, hey, look, I want you to to serve in this area. I want you to add joy to your life. I want to add peace to your life. I want to add all of these things to your life. But a lot of times what happens when we surrender our entire lives to God, God actually begins to give us those things back that we've surrendered to him. But when he gives them back to us, he says, now I want to put them in their proper place. He says, look, I don't want to be one among many things in your life. Instead, I want to be fully integrated with your life. And so he says, hey, look, when it comes to your family, your spouse, your children, he says, look, I want to be a part of those relationships. I want you to lay down your life out of love like I've done for you to those people in your life. He says, look, when you go to work and when you go to school, I want you to be my witness. I want you to be my hands and feet and to spread joy, to spread love, to spread peace instead of division. I want to work in you as you work your everyday job. He says, look, I know that you have a lot of friendships and relationships and I want to be a part of those. I want you to love others like I've loved you and share that great love. And then a lot of us, you know, we're, we're at the ball fields, we're at the gymnastics place, we're all these different places and we think they're just stuff filling up our calendar. And God says, look, those aren't bad things. You don't have to get rid of all of that stuff. Sometimes he says, look, I want you to be a missionary there. I want you to go there and spread my light to those people. He says, look, I don't want some kind of bifurcated life where I'm a part of it here and not part of it there. I want to be fully integrated with everything you're doing. Basically, he says, I want to be Lord over it all. I don't want there to be any part that I'm not a part of. Jesus calls us to surrender our lives to him. And when we do, we gain everything we've ever truly wanted or needed. And when you look at how Luke wraps up this story, you'll find that he doesn't really wrap it up, does he? He doesn't tell us whether these people really followed Jesus or not. He he doesn't tell us if they said, you know what? I'm not going to go back and tell people goodbye. You know what? I am going to forsake these comforts. We don't know if they said yes or if they, like many people who wanted to try to squeeze Jesus into their lives, walked away empty-handed and feeling like they missed out and needing more. We don't know how they responded, but I think Luke leaves it open-ended because he wants us to ask that question. How will we respond to Jesus' call? How will we respond to him? Will we submit our lives to him and truly put him first? Or will we treat him just like another add on and an accessory? Each and every day, God gives each of us that choice. And I hope today that you'll choose Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your great love. For your son, Jesus Christ, who surrendered himself on the cross for us. And God, we know that this call to surrender that you've you've given to us, it's difficult because we, we want control, we want ownership. We feel like we should be in charge, but God, help us to realize that you are the one who created us. You are the one who sustains us. You are the one who saves us. God, help us surrender our lives to you. So that we can be used by you in this world. So that we can know your love, the purpose, the peace, the joy, and the life that comes alongside of your Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, this morning, instead of just jumping into our final song, we have uh, a little something different. We actually have two people who wanna come forward and publicly say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you once again. Uh, these two people, uh, they have, have both been baptized in the past. And at baptism, we remember and we celebrate God's promises over us, his promise to love us, to save us, to forgive us for his grace to wash over us. And, and what we remember at baptism is that God never breaks the promises that he makes to us. But from time to time, we, we stray from God. We don't keep the promises we've made to God. We, we don't put God first in our lives. And so these two people are, are coming this morning to say, God, I want you to be first. And I want everybody to know it. And, and in just a few minutes, they're gonna come in these waters of baptism that they've experienced before. And they're gonna come and remember that they've been baptized. We're going to pray over them and we're going to celebrate this new commitment with them once again. And so uh, the, the two people, one is Orlando Villanueva and uh, Jenny Thompson. So I want to invite uh, Orlando, Jenny and, and Jose to come forward. And um, Jose is going to share some words about Orlando. Orlando is a man, a few words. He's the wise, the wise knowing one. Yeah, yeah, come on up here. And so um, Orlando has meant a lot to this church uh, over the years. And so I'm going to let Jose uh, share a little bit about Orlando and what God's been doing in his life throughout the last time.
1: First of all, it is an excitement to be back at Harvest Point, And I'm so humbled to stand here today. And um, Orlando, actually, we, my wife and I, we moved from Puerto Rico to, to, to Georgia back in 2001 in Orlando was my first friend here in in Georgia. Uh, he used to work for the Latin American association. There was a satellite in forest park. I was pastoring a church in forest park and we've been great friends and I've been praying for, for Orlando. I've been, you know, sharing about the gospel. Orlando always had this sweet spirit in him and sweetheart. And, Mm -hmm. And uh, then we, we lost contact for a minute uh, when, you know, we, uh, God changed our past, we landed here at Harvest Point. And three years after, when we started La Gran Cosecha, I started praying to God and saying, God, you know, I know that we need to, we need people to, to help us in this ministry and the first name that he gave me was Orlando. And I think uh, when, when I shared with Orlando, I said, listen, I need to come to your house. I need to speak with you about something that that that's really exciting that's going on. And I think that he and his wife thought that I was coming to sell Amway or something like that. I don't know what it was, but they welcomed me anyway. They didn't shut the door. And when I shared all, with Orlando, I shared with him the vision and I said, listen, this is what God has placed in my heart. We want to start uh spanish-speaking congregation with harvest point and uh and and i would love for you to be a part of this and i gave him the options you can either pray for us and continue to pray for us or be a part of this in orlando and he says he says man we've been talking about this and we've been praying about this because now that my son is grown, we want to be committed as a family to the lord and we were searching and seeing where will we go as far as church i've never been a leader but we will follow wherever God will take us. And Orlando and, and his family, they were founding leaders of La Gran Cosecha, faithful members. And when God called us to go to Skyland, Orlando said, we will continue to serve in this body. And uh, And that's Orlando. And, and the fact that he is serving uh, fills my heart with joy. And the fact that he... Is about to share to remember this commitment through baptism. Uh, it's a witness of who Jesus Christ is in His life.
0: Um, so, Orlando, if you want to go, go get ready. Uh, and then, um, Jenny has has written some of her story out, and, and she's going to read her testimony and share it with us now. <laughs>
2: I'm a bit nervous, (laughs) if you can't tell that, please. All right. This is the first time that I've done this and there's a lot of people out there. Um, My name is Jenny, and I would like to share some things with you. As a small girl, I hoped that my life would be full of fairy tales and rainbows. Instead, I experienced pain, abuse, and trauma. Because of all of this, I was a broken shell of a girl filled with fear and consumed by pain and distrust. As I tried to deal with these feelings, I began to try and numb them with drugs and alcohol. At a very young age, I became addicted. I yearned for safety and love, so I also turned to boys to get the validation I thought I needed. At 13, I became pregnant. I had no clue how to be a mom at such a young age, but I tried my best to love my daughter well. I got married and had two more children. I got saved at 22 and I thought that things would instantly be better, but I was wrong. My life was still filled with pain and consumed by fear, fear of failure, fear of not being good enough, and fear of facing all the pain I had endured. I wasn't able to surrender all of of the pain, guilt, and shame I had been carrying my whole life, and my addiction continued for many years. For a long time, I fought my addiction, myself, and God. For the last seven and a half years, I have been in and out of jail and struggled with my addiction. You see, I blamed God for a long time for all the things I had been through. What I didn't realize is that he was with me through it all. He was the reason I was still alive. This past January, I went to jail for almost five months. As I sat in jail, I finally heard God because I was able to be still and listen. He let me know that he has always been with me, even when I was using my free time, excuse me, even when I was using my free will to go against what he wanted for me. I started reading his word and praying every day. And one day I felt God tell me to share him with others. So I started a prayer circle which continued each night for many months. Finally, I surrendered to God and he gave me a lot of peace. All of the fear, pain, guilt, and shame was slowly being taken away along with the anger and bitterness I had lived with for so long. I even started to like who I was seeing in the mirror. It's because of His love and light that is at work in and through me that something inside of me changed. So here I stand before you a miracle, free not only from active addiction, but also from being in jail. God's unconditional love has changed me. He loved me when I couldn't love myself and continues to do for me what I can't do for myself. Today, I choose not only just to exist, but to, per- to, but to put Him first in my life and live for Him. I have a couple of scripture I wanna read that goes along with what I've been dealing with. Um, one of them, if I can see it, one of them is Psalm 34:4. I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. And I have one more, which is Romans eight thirty seven. 37. No, in all these things, <clears throat> we are more than conquerors through him who loved us.
0: Amen. We all give a round of applause.
2: Thank you <laughs> thank for sharing.